Hey there, Foster Care Nation. This is Jason with Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey. Recently, I reached out inside of a group that talks a lot about foster care and adoption and asked if there was anyone who wanted to tell their story. There's a story there that needs to be told. It's a story that we don't hear about often, and it's a story that's oftentimes shamed in today's culture. Today, we're talking to Lauren. Lauren is a birth mother who knew at a young age that she was not ready to be a parent and chose to give her child a life that she could not give him. What resulted was an open adoption that has become a very healthy place for both her, her child, and the adoptive parents. She tells her story today. For all the show notes, be sure and go by and check out fostercarenation.com. And if you're looking for ways to support us, you can help us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. Or the most helpful thing you could do is to share this episode with a friend or someone who might be interested. Also, if you're an iTunes user, please go by and leave us a rating and review. It really helps the show get found. Now on to the episode. Foster Cow and Unpella Journey. With Jason and Amanda Palmer. We like to talk about foster care and adoption and anything related. We tell stories about foster kids, bio kids, adoptive kids. We talk to caseworkers and anybody involved in the foster and adoptive system. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. You can reach us at fosteruj at gmail.com or check us out on our website at fostercarenation.com. Hi, and welcome to Foster Care, an Unparalleled Journey with Jason and Amanda. We are here today with Lauren Bajorian. She is an adoptee circa 1988, and it is a pause reunion. She's also a birth mom in an open adoption from 2013 and very active in post-placement support for birth mothers. She works closely with an organization called Caring for Birth Mothers in Akron, Ohio. They host monthly pizza meetups that are the, their version of support groups and retreats three times a year. Their events are all run by birth moms for birth moms. They believe in the power of support, connection, and growth. Her passions definitely light up for the post-placement support and advocating for healthy communication in open adoptions. How are you doing today, Lauren? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing today? We are doing wonderful. Well, I don't know if I can speak for Amanda, but <laughs> I'm going to say I'm doing good. You know, the whole time change thing always throws me for a loop, but it's a beautiful day out, the sun's shining, and beautiful temperatures for March, so I'm not going to complain. I, I agree. We're having great weather today, too. I'm loving the sunshine. <laughs> yeah, it's almost 70 degrees out here. I, the, it's absolutely gorgeous. Yesterday was beautiful, too, so it was a great time to have a weekend off. Yeah, yes. and I don't know when, when anybody's <laughs> listening to this, but it is March in Missouri, and so it can be sunny and 70 out my window today, but tomorrow there may be snowflakes. <laughs> it's the same way here in Ohio, so definitely, and we're at 60 right now, so I will take it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, me and Amanda just wanted to say thanks for taking the time to come talk to us here on the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, it's people like you who are, who are willing to share your stories that really make this all possible, especially a birth mom. You know, that's one of the things in foster care that I've talked with a lot of people about. It's really easy, really easy for people to look and go, well, how could you do that? Right. We, we've seen a lot of we do a lot of foster care uh, stories and we've heard some pretty rough stories for kids who've come through some foster care placements, some placements that really were in a terrible place. Or I'm sorry, some kids who were in a terrible place that turned up, turned them into their their. Uh, becoming a foster care placement in our home. And it's really easy to just automatically assume that if a mom can't like get their life together, you know, if they can't this, if they choose drugs over, over their kid, like, like all these judgmental statements are the ones that, right. that can jump up in your head really fast and easy. And the, the truth is because we've seen this, the best thing for mm -hmm. any child is to live in a, in a placement where their birth mom and dad are, going to take care of them, you know, where they, they actually know that mom and dad love you. Mm -hmm. And that's an important piece. That's more important. That's bigger and better than anything I can give any kid ever as a foster parent. And I think yeah. that that's one of the things that it's easy to forget. And it sounds like you're really into that, that uh, you're really into the world of helping birth moms be part of their kids' lives. And I think that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, de definitely. <laughs> Have you had any, uh, well, I'm certain you have. What are your experiences with, um, w with, well, have you, have you dealt with any, any, um, foster care placements 
or do you primarily uh, deal with adopt you know post adoptee? Yeah, so a lot of what I do um, is strictly um, the adoption placement. So it's women that choose to place versus children being taken away temporarily or permanently. So um, my area is more of making that decision from the time of learning you're pregnant to uh, making a plan and considering all your options, things like that. Um, so that's more of where I come from with it. But I, I have interacted with a few women who um, had children taken away and then went on to place other children or other pregnancies that they face. So I do, I do have a lot of connection with um, women who experienced either just one or the other or both. Um, but my, my realm and my personal experience was all this was a plan that I chose and I went from the beginning of pretty much the beginning of my pregnancy on until his birth. So for me, it was a choice, but I do know quite a few women that it was not a choice. Okay. Well, can we ask, I mean, what made you see that as the, the best choice in your life? Sure. Um, so as we kind of touched on briefly, I, I am adopted. So adoption has been my life. My, I have an adopted sibling also. Um, she's about five years younger than me. She was an international adoption. So I got to watch that also play out. Um, from a young child. Um, she came into our lives about six months old. So I got to experience that. Um, and then my own experience with adoption was very positive for the most part. You know, it wasn't without its traumas or hardships. And there were a lot of unanswered questions and things like that. But uh, for the most part, it was a positive experience. Um, so for me, when I faced an unplanned pregnancy, um, I was in a relationship with someone that for the most part, I was just in it with him because I knew it wasn't a good relationship, which sounds really crazy, but it was one of those, like I'm testing the waters. I'm trying to see how mad I can make everyone and make them still stay at the same time. And, um, not the best reason to be with anyone, but you know, I kind of lived a life of risk taking and behaviors like that, which do come from a lot of adoption trauma. Um, but he was abusive. Um, it was an abusive relationship. There was physical, mental um, situations that took place. Uh, when I found out I was pregnant, um, there was actually some sexual abuse that took place, things like that. And uh, for me, when I found out I was pregnant, it was all about protecting my son from that. Not that he ever hurt any of his other children, but I just didn't want my son or myself to be connected to him for 18 years. Um, I kind of use it as an out of being connected to him. Uh, but also I was still living with my parents. I didn't have a job. I was 25 at the time of my pregnancy. Um, I wasn't financially able to take care of myself. And I knew that there were resources that I could parent and have financial assistance from the government and um, organizations. But for me, that was just something that I wasn't personally interested in. I wanted my son to have the best possible life. I looked at the life, you know, my parents provided me growing up and I wanted my son to have something similar. I wanted him to have two parents in a home that loved him. I wanted him to have stability, consistency. And those were all things that I was aware I couldn't provide at that time. Um, I hadn't even gone to college yet. Um, and uh, none of those things make you a good mom. You can be a fantastic mom. And I knew I could have been a good mom. Um, but I wanted him to have more and I wanted him to have things that I knew I couldn't give him at that moment in time. Wow. That's pretty self-aware <laughs> to realize that that's a struggle that you're going to have to face at that age. Yeah. Cause I mean, I don't know yeah. about you, but I know when I was 25, I remember that guy, he was kind of an idiot and he wasn't very self-aware at all. Yeah. And that's one of those things is, you know, a lot of people that knew me then or knew me post miles to my son, they all say like, you are such a different person. And I know 100% it was because of those, I mean, really eight months of serious thinking and serious thought processing that changed me and made me who I am today. So for I use it as a launching point for me. I did a complete 180 from where I was. And I said, I will never be that person again. I'm going to be self-sufficient. I'm going to be, you know, a stronger, better person for him because I want him to see that not only did I give him the best life he could have at that time, I also bettered my life too, so that it would never happen again. 
Um, and so it, it was, I think about it too, because like you said, 25, you know, you just kind of live in life and having the best fun you can have. And that's what I was doing. And I realized that wasn't the right path for me anymore. Now that I was bringing life into the world. <laughs> yeah. Kids have an ability to make a lot of us realize that it's not just about <laughs> us anymore. Yes, exactly. It's that, then that's probably what, what helped me to mature because at that point in time, we had a couple of young ones and, and I was having to, having to turn my life around a little bit from being, you know, the guy who could be young and stupid and, and had to become a, a really a productive member of society so I could teach my kids, let alone just, just provide for them, but also to be able to mm-hmm. teach them and raise them in a way that was going to be healthy for them. Right. So, you know, now you have, um, you have some bonus kids, you said? I do. Yes. Uh, I got married in 2018. Um, and I added to my family that way. I got three beautiful kids who are amazing. Uh, we have a seven, a nine and an 11 year old. You know, that's, that's not a bad age to, uh, to be dealing with. <laughs> that, that, you know, I, I lucked out. I missed out on a lot of things, but boy, do we have a bumpy ride ahead of us with those teen years coming up. So I'm buckled in ready to go for it. <laughs> I, I have three teenagers in my house right now and I'll say, yeah, it's, it's a bumpy road. But you know, I said something once to a friend of mine about having, you know, a daughter who's getting ready to come into our teenage years and being kind mm-hmm. of afraid of that. And he kind of challenged me. And I, I love the fact that he had something that he had this to say to me because it helped me realize that he said, you know, you can look at it as, as something to be afraid of. You can look at it as like a bad thing. Now, mind you, this guy has three teenage daughters in the house. Mm-hmm. I think he has three, two or three. I don't remember. Uh, but, but his response was, you can also look at it as, as a challenge and, and an amazing time to connect with kids who don't have parents who typically connect with them at that age. And you can make a huge difference in their life just by by looking at it from that angle as opposed to looking at it from the, oh, dear God, here we go place. Yeah, I like that. I'm going to take that away from this today. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it, it really is. It's all about mindset, you know, and yeah, <clears throat> life in general is about that. But especially when it comes to our kids, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, we have our own setup. You know, our oldest daughter was, legally speaking, my half sister-in-law it was amanda's half sister mm-hmm. whatever that makes her to me um <clears throat> and then she had a, a a son with a previous marriage and dad bounced on that one and so he was raised as mine and then we had a biological son and then we have four kids below you know that in age who we have uh adopted through the foster care system so we have okay. like like a weird family connection a step <laughs> bio and adoptive and we've actually just reopened our home to foster care as well. So, you know, we have a lot of different kids in our life and you have to learn to reshape your, your mindset around it. Because for me, it mm-hmm. comes down to, you know what, once you come into my house, you become part of our clan, if you will, our tribe, you know, mm-hmm. you're part of the people who, who I'm going to maybe kill people for, or if we're <laughs> lucky, I'll just, you know, have to live for you and do all those right. great things. And it's different to look at it that way than it is to look at it as, oh, we have all these, you know, challenging relationships that we have to, we have to navigate because some of them are challenging, mm-hmm. you know, especially some of the adoptive relationships, because, you know, there's, let me think here. Yeah. All of our kids, all of our adopted kids have bio parents who are still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, at least some of them are, are still alive. You know, one of the parents at a minimum. And the thing is, is that for us, the bio parents are not, are not a safe place for them to be around. Yeah. And mostly because we have a lot of addiction in our family, um, in our family's mm-hmm. family tree, if you will. And if you have a bad heroin habit, I'm probably not going to have you around because you probably have like people like dealers in your life. And I'm not playing with that kind of mess, right? That That's, that's dangerous. And, yeah. um, <clears throat> you know, so that's, that's a real challenge for us and figuring out how that fits in. Because even some yeah. of our bio kids, we, you know, they ask, well, not all of them ask questions about their birth parents. All of them mm-hmm. have some curiosity about that connection. And mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's a, a totally unique situation for every family that walks this journey. You know, it sounds like your journey is entirely different, though, that, you know, you and, you and your bio son still have that connection. And 
you know, obviously the adoptive parents see that as a safe place. And so, you know, how did you manage to keep that connection open with them? Because that's not always an easy thing to do. Yeah, it definitely isn't. And I definitely agree with you that there are circumstances that you do need to protect the children. You do need to put them first 100%. But like you said, our situation is very different. I didn't struggle with addiction. Um, Like this was, you know, 100% plan made by me. Um, So with as far as his parents go, uh, I was able to actually meet them and pick them. Um, So I, you know, was having a pile of profiles if you will and it was like a dating website basically you go on you read all this information you see pictures you get to know them before even communicating with them and um i was just really drawn to them um my mom and my therapist who i was seeing at the time actually both looked at the profiles and were like oh you have to look at this family and i was kind of in a phase of not really being sure and i was I had picked a family prior and and turned down because there was a history of depression. And that just burned me so bad because I was like, if you don't want a child that could possibly be depressed, you shouldn't be adopting period. Um, So when I met um, Matt and Melissa, who are his amazing parents and I okayed sharing their names, just to throw that in there. um, It was like meeting my best friends, even though this was my first time meeting them. So, you know, she and I had both, you know, bonded over just being absolutely terrified. And I actually drove past the restaurant before pulling in, like completely airheaded. I'd been there before. I knew exactly where this place was. We were meeting and I just drove right past it. Like I had no idea where I was going. And she did the same thing. And we were both just laughing about how anxious we were, but also excited. And it was just an instant bonding moment for the both of us. Um, that I just knew, like, as soon as I met them and after answering about five or, you know, five or six questions that she was who I wanted to raise my, my son. And same with him. Like they were just perfect. My mom was with me that day and said, it's so funny how much Melissa reminds me of you. If you just kind of had your stuff together right now, like if you had maybe just been a little more stable, you know, she has these love for children that you have. And so it just, this instant connection and a lot of birth moms I talked to talk about that where it just clicks. You just know this was the right person to raise my child. And um, so just having that instant, I guess, chemistry and relationship connection really helped us just keep in touch. So the agency that I placed with does what they call semi-open and where you get pictures and letters uh, for the first year uh, once a month. So they would send a bunch of pictures and letters for that first year. And then after that, you would get two letters and two sets of pictures a year. And the family would kind of decide when you got that. And the agency would be the ones that would send it to you. So it was very informal or very formal, rather. Um, It was very formal how they would send it to us. Like we weren't allowed to ever have direct contact And after a while, Melissa and I were just like, this doesn't feel right. And we started directly messaging each other. It was actually in the hospital after I delivered that um, we exchanged cell phone numbers. Um, She created a Facebook profile where she would post pictures. It was separate from hers because she wasn't quite sure yet. And I understood and I respected that. Um, It could be scary to add me. You never know. You you know, if you watch Lifetime, there's all those scary perceptions of birth moms out there. (laughs) We're going to steal the babies or, you know, try to steal your husbands and no interest there at all. But everyone has these fears and I understand it, but I also think it's crazy. (laughs) But I respected her uh, desire for a little anonymity, uh, except we both knew each other's full names. We both knew where we lived. Um, it was just a little shelter until we were ready to dive deeper. And so now, I mean, we talk all the time. I was actually just texting her right before I called into you guys today. And she's so excited. She can't wait to hear it. And she was so excited about the picture I picked. She said it's actually her favorite picture of Miles and I. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we just clicked. We became, I mean, a, a weird version of best friends that most people are like, I don't understand but that's okay. You don't have to, it works. <laughs> it works for us. <laughs> well, that's really amazing um, that they have mm-hmm. that set up, you know, because I mean, I don't watch lifetime, <laughs> but, <laughs> but my dad was a police officer for 20 something years. 
And I mm-hmm. know that the world is full of crazy people. And I, I can yeah. see that, that fear being there. You know, you never know when somebody's yeah. gonna gonna step off into a drug addiction that that mm-hmm. goes off the rails. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Or, you know, just anything, just a mental health breakdown even. I was gonna you say know, mental is, health anything is possible. All that. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I, I can see I can see that that kind of semi open shelter being being a safe place to be able to uh, mm-hmm. and the and the the separation between where where the agency is the one who who communicates to you and to her and being kind of the middle person for that that's mm-hmm. a um that that's probably a really good thing to start with but it's awesome yeah. to see that you guys have been able to keep a, an open connection over the years because how how old is he now he is six, so He's he six. will be seven this year. Yeah. Okay, so you know, you guys have been doing this for quite a few years, and it sounds like it's really yes. worked out. So that's that's an amazing opportunity for a kid to be able to hold on to that birth connection, mm-hmm. you know, without yeah. any issue from uh, from from with the bio parents as well, because I know that can be an issue. You know, like I said before, mm-hmm. we we've dealt with some of that. You know, we've uh, <clears throat> more than a couple of our kids have parents have bio parents who who have addiction issues. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, you know, we, we've dealt with addiction issues in our own families enough to know that it's safest to keep some space there. So I, mm-hmm. I can I can see that being a, something that, that people are a little bit nervous about. But the fact yeah. that you guys have been able to hold on to this for six years and keep this going, that's mm-hmm. that's amazing. Because I'm sure your son knows that you love him. Yes. and And that's one thing that, you know, he was actually the ring bearer in my wedding. Like he was involved in all of that. He's had play dates with my bonus kids. He knows my husband. Um, and it's actually really funny. He gets more excited to see my husband than me sometimes. And <laughs> so that was like, oh man, like I'm not the favorite anymore. Um, but even when he was three, he had a really firm grasp on who I was. Um, we were actually at a fundraiser for a not-for-profit that supports our pizza meetups and our retreats for birth moms and he came and you know they kind of always make little cameo appearance appearances at those types of things but he had this whole little speech prepared for me and he said um you know mama lauren i i love you and i know why you're special and i said oh well why am i special buddy he goes because i grew in your belly Uh and for him to say that at three and actually like seem to understand what he was saying like threw me for a loop like I was sobbing I was so (laughs) excited I just hugged him and it was so cute but it's like you know now I know 100% that they are sharing my truth with him they're not hiding things from him it even got to a point where um because he knew he grew in my belly he knew that he wanted brothers and sisters so like he'll kind of hint sometimes like hey I, I want a brother and I just laugh and I say, it's not coming to me, buddy. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, so it's just this funny little thing. Like he gets it. He understands that, you know, we have this connection in his own little six year old brain. So it's really cool to watch that and know that his parents are kind of fostering that idea that I'm a good person, that I love him. that It's okay for him to love me and, you know, that there's not this weird, you can't love her, you have to love us kind of dynamic going on. It's really cool that they that they are so positive about it also. Now, how has your family, you know, taken to this whole idea? Is it something that they struggled with at first or have they been pretty supportive throughout it? Um, my parents were very supportive. My parents told me from the beginning that no matter what I chose, they would be understanding and they would be there for me. Um, it kind of was sh- expressed that if I chose to parent, you know, my parents wouldn't parent my child. Like, you know, you see a lot of, and, um, I said, okay, like I understood my parents work full-time jobs. Like I couldn't expect them to babysit all the time. Like that isn't realistic. Um, so, but they were very honest with me that, you know, they were a little disappointed that I had allowed this to happen. Um, I kind of, kind of got a little bit of silent treatment while my parents figured it all out about me being pregnant and still being at home. And uh, just for a little background, I do come from a very strong Christian home and I was the rebellious child always. You name a rule, <laughs> I figured out how to break it. Um, that was just who I was. So this was just me being me, basically. And my parents were like, okay, this is the ultimate rule break here. Um, but they, you know, they were very loving about it. My mom, like I said, came with me to meet 
Matt and Melissa, my son's parents. Um, she was there with me when I filled out the ridiculous 15 page health document. Um, and, you know, background information of, you know, here's every disease or, you know, illness that I've ever had basically like, um, and you know, all that health information as far that I could provide, uh, being adopted. I didn't know much at the time. So, um, yeah, she was very much so part of the process with me. My both parents came to the hospital when I had him and said goodbye and, you know, held him and loved on him. And, um, they've come to a few visits. Uh, you know, they were, you know, they're very excited that we had such a good relationship, but I think also it was interesting to watch them kind of open up to open adoption because I had been a closed adoption. They didn't know anything about my birth family. They couldn't answer any questions. And now they see my son getting answers to every question as soon as it pops up. So I think it was interesting. My dad actually pulled me aside. He goes, I think this is beautiful for you guys. He's like, but if your birth mom had come knocking around asking for information or asking for pictures, I don't know if I could have shared it because we don't, we didn't know who she was or what her story is. And I thought that was really interesting that, you know, he thought it was okay for me and my situation now, but like that kind of disconnect for him. And I think it's just my dad being my protector. He's always been, you know, fiercely protective of his girls. And uh, it was interesting to watch that play out and see him even stop to think about, could I have done that? I don't know. You know, that is one but, thing about us dads is part of we mm-hmm. part of the way we are hardwired, you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that we, we're protectors. Yeah. And that's just who we are. You know, um, our two middle kids, I, I call them middle kids. Our kids were kind of born in <laughs> stages. Um, but our 12 and 14-year-old, their biological mm-hmm. father was, was murdered when they were very young. But okay. his best friend he went through high school with and played ball with and all that, um, they actually have a son the same age as our son, and he's mm-hmm. in his grade in the same school. Um, Playing the same sports. Yep. And they, they, he's actually the coach for our son. Yep. And, and then him and his wife now have another little boy who's like best buds in the world with our little kindergartner. And we always hear the stories about Delandon when we, whenever we get him home from school. And we, they have mm-hmm. that connection. So they're able to tell, you know, to, to fill in some of those gaps, I guess, if you will. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they, they went to school together. They knew each other fairly well. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they got, you know, their birth parents got into some stuff after after high school that, that they, they kind of had a little bit of distance there. And they weren't so close during that time frame, I don't think. But it allows them to have some of those answers. And, you mm-hmm. know, to this last year when our son played um, football, he played eighth grade football. He played on the same team as dad played for. He wore the same jersey number because we knew somebody who could tell him, yeah, this is an, your dad wore number 22. So he was number 22 on the football team, was able to, to do all that and have a lot of those questions answered. There's still, in our situation, wow. there's still quite a few questions that, that aren't answered for them, mm-hmm. but it, it allows them to uh, to have some of those pieces. So I think that's amazing that you're able to fill in those gaps for your son that a lot of kids don't get. I would imagine a lot of those gaps that you experienced as a kid, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of trauma based around that for a lot of kids. And I mean, I don't know about your yeah. personal experience, but I do know that, you know, from what we've seen, there's a lot of trauma that can come out of that. Yeah. I, I, I definitely have some of the trauma kind of triggers that you see with a lot of adoptees, even though um, I did have a brief lived current reunion. Um, I, I got a few questions answered like the who and the why and the what, you know, and I got to see who I looked like. I got to put, you know, oh, I have your eyes, I have your nose, and I got names and things like that. And those were all things I longed for, but I didn't get deeper connection as of right now. And, you know, that's something that was hard um, and is still hard. Um, as a kid, you know, I would just, my birthdays were probably the hardest for me. And I would just remember as soon as everyone would start singing to me, I would cry or I'd hide under the table. And it was just, almost overwhelming but then at the same time I loved being the center of attention any other day so it was one of those things where it was like okay this is clearly some kind of trauma manifesting around the birthday because I know that there's some other person that I hope is thinking about me this day and I have all these questions that I want to ask but I can't um but you know my parents always encouraged 
me to love my birth mom without knowing anything. You know, they, they told me what they could, that she was young. I believe they said around 18, 19. Um, they knew that she was young and um, not capable of being a mom at this time. So they tried the best they could with, with the teeny tiny little bit of information. But, you know, I, I saw it get hard for my mom too, because she would always try to tell me like, you know, honey, I just don't know, but we want you to know. And, you know, she encouraged me to search for my mom when I was ready and uh, form a relationship with her. Like I remember uh, at one point during that reunion, it was actually Mother's Day and I got invited over for a Mother's Day brunch. And I looked at my mom and I said, are you okay if I go over there on Mother's Day? And my mom just grabbed my face and kissed my forehead and said, I have had 26 Mother's Days with you. She can have this one. And just hearing my mom validate that and say, go reunite, form bonds, like, again, broke down sobbing. I do that a lot. Um, (laughs) But it was just such a powerful moment to know my parents were still encouraging this and still wanting me to get all these answers that kind of helped a lot of healing start to take place, for sure. Well, that's beautiful because a lot Mm -hmm. of kids will never have that. Yeah. The fact that you're, you're... adoptive parents are willing to to see that as, as an open option is not mm-hmm. always easy for for people to do so yeah, their definitely. willingness is amazing mm-hmm. i definitely have a lot of great people in my corner i'll say that much so <laughs> it sounds like it and now i know you've mentioned being part of of this um the group what's the name of the group of uh with the birth moms Oh, yeah. So I'm part of Caring for Birth Mothers. Um, uh, We are in Akron, Ohio. It's connected to an adoption agency, but we are kind of our own separate entity. Um, So we do support groups. We call them pizza meetups once a month. We do them in the Akron area and then every other month down in Columbus. And then we've started to do a few in Youngstown. So we're kind of spreading out across the state as we gain um, interest and attendance. Um, We talk about the hard stuff for birth moms. Um, We have some generous donors that make it possible for us to, you know, enjoy pizza and feed everyone for free who comes. And we just talk about, we we do tribe stuff together. You know, we're a sisterhood of women who made this choice and we're all connected by this common grief decision that we all made. And um, we all grow together. We share our lives together. You know, sometimes the pizza meetups are just full of laughter and life updates and other times they're full of, you know, hard questions and talking about grief management and talking about the struggles we're facing or really hard birthdays and things like that. Like it covers all kinds of areas of conversation, which I love. You never know what you're going to get. It all depends on the mix of people that show up that week. And, uh, and we also do retreats three times a year. We rent out lodge lodges and cabins and um we meet up we do one in uh spring summer and fall and we spend a whole weekend together our whole team is made up of birth moms we actually have a birth mom who experienced foster care placement and some addiction struggles herself we have a birth mom who placed right around the time i was placed for adoption we have another birth mom who has a super super open adoption to the point she travels Um, to the state and stays in their home for almost a week at a time. And her daughter knows her and it's amazing. And then we have another adoptee birth mom like myself, who was an international adoptee and placed within um, her familial uh, group that adopted her. And, you know, we just kind of cover all the places that a birth mom could come from in our little facilitator team. And it's really awesome to see the, aha moments when you know first-time birth moms attend our groups and see oh you went through that too or oh you were an abusive relation like all those connection moments that help them feel closer to us and the the stories um have similarities other than just we all placed a child for adoption so it's really cool it's where my passion is right now um i absolutely love the work we do the growth i've seen and the women over the six years that I've been involved, plus my own personal growth from it. You know, I might be a facilitator, but I learn and I take away just as much as these moms do that come in for the very first time. So it's very therapeutic to get to do it three times a year. <laughs> That's amazing. 
<clears throat> That's amazing. I know you talked about the grief and the trauma there. Mm-hmm. Um, what what kind of what kind of advice would you give somebody? Because you know there, there's probably a a potential birth mom out there right now listening, thinking about it. What kind mm-hmm. of advice would you give them as far as how to deal with it if they choose to have their child placed? Yeah. So first of all, you have options. You have so many options. Don't let anyone make the decision for you. That's my number one thing when I speak with expectant mothers is make this decision for you. Don't feel pressured by anyone. Um, Definitely advocate for yourself. Learn about all the different types of adoption that exist. Um, Semi-open worked for me at the beginning, and then we went to full-blown open. Uh, But that doesn't always work for everybody. So definitely educate yourself and do that first and foremost while you're learning of your options. Um, but definitely just be prepared because it can come out of nowhere. Like for me, you know, I'm, my son's going to be seven this year, but you know, actually today was the day seven years ago that I finally decided adoption was the right decision. And it was funny cause that popped up on my Facebook, uh, memories while I was coming in and, you know, looking at the questions for today. And I was just like, Oh, you know, normally today is a pretty hard day for me, but I'm feeling Okay. And then out of nowhere, you know, you get a little tearful and it's just, you got to be ready for anything because it comes out of nowhere. Make sure you have a great support system. If you don't have one now, reach out. Um, We have a Facebook page. We have a Facebook group just for birth moms. There's a few amazing groups that are there to educate expectant mothers on adoption and what it's like. Um, And then I know some pretty great people that are counselors as well that would, you know, inform you of all of your rights and abilities and things of that nature. So definitely build a support system, educate yourself and um, never give up, never give up because I'm a firm believer in you grow through what you go through. Um, It was funny. We were in our group chat just today. We were sharing t-shirts and stuff we might want to make for uh, our next retreat. And that was one of them. You, you grow through what you go through and this can be a launching point for you. And as long as you don't sit and dwell in the sadness and you don't let the grief and the depression swallow you whole, you can come out of it and be on the other side and have a life that you've always dreamed of. This doesn't have to be the ending point because it does kind of look like the end of the road for many women who are facing this. I know because I've been there and it doesn't have to be the end if you don't let it. That's amazing advice. <laughs> and I'll make sure that the show notes will have links to all those groups on your Facebook and your awesome. Instagram and your Thank website you. so that people can reach out if they need to because, you know, that that's that's a challenging decision that I, I don't know that I would know how to walk through. And I yeah. can't imagine, you know, being especially being as young as you were to be able to make those decisions and not end up second guessing yourself at least 100,000 mm-hmm. times. Yeah. And and I think it is, it's totally normal to feel set on it one day and then completely question it the next day. And, you know, even with the amazing relationship I have with my son and his parents, and I see how happy he is being the little world traveler and, you know, having a passport, all these things. It's like, I still wonder, well, what if I made a different decision? And that you, you can't help but think that way. I think it's just human nature. So for me, it's just not allowing those thoughts to consume me. I allow them to happen because it's a thought and I can't just deny my thoughts. And then I remind myself that if I had done that, would I have been in the place I was when I met my husband that he would have wanted to marry me? And I think about all these things of like how my life trajected and moved forward that would all of that happen had I parented. And obviously, had I parented, I wouldn't be connected with this amazing group doing the amazing work we're doing. So I wouldn't be making the impact and helping the women that I've helped. So I kind of look at it as a catch-22. Like, sure, I could have had my son and I could have been without all of this sadness and frustration and grief in the beginning of grieving that act of parenting. But I might not be where I am today. I would 100% wouldn't be where I am today had I not made that decision. So I think it's absolutely absolutely natural to not only question it before, but also after. You know, it's amazing you say that because, you know, part of our story, we lost our oldest daughter a few years ago to a nasty disease. And as horrible Mm -hmm. as that experience was, 
uh, honestly, this podcast would not exist if I hadn't been through that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're out there trying to reach and touch all these different people based on foster care, adoption, all the different sides of it, and talk to people who can have amazing stories or where they can give advice to people like you. And none of that would have been possible if we hadn't been through the road that we walked. And would we have chosen one over the other? Obviously not. But we didn't get to choose that. Right. You know, disease chooses who it chooses, and we don't get to choose that. But what we can do is take the the situation that you're dealt in life and Mm -hmm. turn it into something beautiful, if at all possible. Absolutely. I I 100% believe that. You you choose the cards. Like, you're dealt a hand, but you choose what cards you play. It's all about how you uh, come out of it on the other end and make something out of it, for sure. You are 100% correct there. That's one of the things that, that we have found in, in our journey is that it's really about what you choose to do with the hand you're dealt, not mm-hmm. about what hand you're dealt because you don't get to choose mm-hmm. that one. You know, and Definitely. You know, uh, there's an old song that I always love to quote. Um, I think it was by, uh, by a man named Van Zandt, and the, the line in the song is, if you want to hear God laugh, just tell him your plans. Mm-hmm. That is a great song. <laughs> and, <laughs> and no matter what you think it's going to be in your life, you know, for me, my wife and I were, I was going to be 41 when our oldest boy turned 18. We were going to mm-hmm. give him the big boot and we were going to be empty nesters and be able to do whatever we wanted and, <laughs> and all of our money would go to the things we wanted to spend it on. And <laughs> you know, and, and I, I'm 42 now and my youngest is four. So uh-huh. that, that changed, you know, but, yeah. you know, I didn't get that idea that I thought I was going to have, but I wouldn't trade mm-hmm. it for anything in the world either. Right. You I know? love that. <clears throat> yeah. That's, that's the beauty of, of life. I think sometimes it's just understanding how not to be so attached to the result that you want, that you're willing mm-hmm. to completely ignore the amazing things that they can be in your life. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you, you have really found that with your passion for birth moms and connecting birth moms and kids and, and adoptive parents and being able to to create that connection through your group. So I, mm-hmm. I want to just encourage you and tell you that's an amazing thing you've done to realize that, hey, this is something that can be beautiful and it worked that way for me and I'm going to try and help others. What made yeah. you decide that you could help others that way? Because most of us had the, these great ideas. We have about twenty of them a day, at least. Yeah, and we uh, <laughs> and then decide. You don't act. <laughs> yeah, and then you decide. Don't do nothing. <laughs> yeah, but it's not going to happen. That's a, that's a dumb idea. I shouldn't do that. That that would never work. And I was actually, I wish I could remember her name. I was listening to a TED talk the other day, and the the presenter said that that there's this five second rule. If mm-hmm. you have this idea and you don't take some positive action within five seconds, it's gone, and you're mm-hmm. not going to do anything about it. So when you have that idea, sit down, write it down, do something, make Uh a phone call, talk to somebody. My wife had one of those recently where she called me. She said, okay, this idea is going to seem silly to me in a a short time. So I'm going to tell you about it so that you can kind of hold me accountable. You can, you can push (laughs) Push me me. on this. And and that's something that that we have been chasing, you know, Mm -hmm. but that's, um, that, that's a huge piece of being able to create something in this world is being willing to accept the fact that you can go do something amazing. You can make a difference in the world. Not not just in your small corner, but that little difference you make in somebody else's life in Akron, Ohio, 20 years from now, that parent, that kid, they're mm-hmm. going to be somewhere else in the world, and they're going to have kids. Yeah. And you're going to spread that across the nation. And so those little pieces that you can do today can change the entire world tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And having the courage to stand up and do that had to be a difficult thing, but I'm glad you did. Yeah. So I got real lucky um, in the respect that this organization actually existed before I got involved. Um, they'd actually done one retreat prior to me attending. And um, while I was there, I expressed interest in um, either you know joining their team or wanting to start something like this myself. And um, they actually called me on my way home from the first retreat that I attended and said, do you want to join our team? And I said, yes. (laughs) So I just jumped on it. I didn't know what joining the team entailed. I didn't know what they would want from me. I just said yes. And I took that leap. 
Um, and I'm forever thankful that uh, Lori and Caroline asked me who started this themselves um, because the agency that actually we spawned from saw the importance of post-placement support and knew that this was something that needed to be started. So they encouraged Lori and Caroline um, to start it. And then um, they asked me to join and then we've branched out and added two other facilitators. So there's a total of, um, let's see, five of us now. And uh, it's pretty crazy to watch us grow. We've had birth moms come from across the country. We've had one fly in from Oregon, from Utah, from Florida. We have, you know, all over the country just come in and attend these retreats. And it, it almost breaks my heart that they have to travel so far to get the kind of support that they get. But at the same time, I'm glad they are because they're getting to hear it from birth moms in a in a event that's facilitated for them by us because we know how important it is and how sacred it is to have this tribal connection of women who get it and to spend that whole weekend together. So I got lucky in the respect that all that hard work and that groundbreaking was already done. I didn't have to start off with you know figuring it out and finding money. It was already established, and I came in at the right time and I uh, got to be a part of it and ride the waves ever since. Um, I'm real thankful for that, that phone call and that leap of faith where I said yes, because it has definitely become something that I am very passionate about and happy to be a part of and wish I could do every day. I wish I could talk about what we do every day, given the chance, but uh, maybe one day, maybe one day. There you go. You know, I, I'm sitting here thinking, and this sounds like the type of organization that's been set up and well-run enough that maybe somebody listening will want to spawn an, an organization off of this mm-hmm. in their area. Um, I'm assuming they could connect with, with you guys and, and talk about that if that's something that, that was on their heart. Yeah. You know, we, we have a lot, because our, we are an Akron, Ohio organization, our support groups are obviously, you know, as I said, Akron, Columbus, and Youngstown. And we advertise them on our Facebook page and we talk about the events and, you know, invite anyone who wants to to come. But we hear that a lot of a lot of moms saying, I wish I could start something like this. I wish I could do this. And it's definitely something we're willing to share of how we started and, you know, give advice on, um, you know, what we did to get started or rather what Lori and Caroline did to get started. Um, and it's definitely something that we think we would like to do. Um, but, you know, it's all about those financial circumstances and things like that, where you just kind of have to take what you can get for the time being and then grow when you can. So, you know, it's something we would love to do. I think I could speak for the m- most of us that we would love to do it more often. And maybe the more introverted uh, ladies in our facilitator group would feel like freezing up. Uh, <laughs> But I definitely think that we all agree there needs to be more, whether it's us leading it or other people leading it. We definitely think that there should be more support out there. Well, I think that's a great goal for for uh, <laughs> not only you guys, but somebody else out there listening who maybe doesn't have the ability to fly out from Utah, mm-hmm. who could yeah. find some of that, you know, whether you're in Utah or Arizona, you know, anywhere mm-hmm. in the world, that's the sort of thing. And you know, podcasts, one of the interesting things I've learned because we have some interesting analytics that pop up. I mean, they're worldwide. Like, we have listens mm-hmm. in Morocco. And oh, wow. I don't know anybody in Morocco. But <laughs> but Facebook reaches to Morocco and back. And yeah. so, you know, anywhere around the world, this might be the sort of thing that they could at least talk to you guys and figure out, you know, what the, what the mechanics of building a group like this is and how to mm-hmm. contact people who are – who uh who might be interested in it because this is this yeah. is a huge thing for kids because like I said before, that number one thing is knowing that your birth parents loved you and cared for you. Yes. And if you yes. can create that inside of an adoption, my God, I don't know if there's anything much more beautiful than handing a family to a child mm-hmm. and allowing them to know that where they came from may have been something that, that a birth mom couldn't handle on their own. There was a yeah, reason why yes. she couldn't take care of it at the time, but she's still willing to be part of that family, and she still loves her child, and she still wants to see them and, and wants to build that mm-hmm. relationship. And that's that's a huge benefit for every kid who's been in an adoption. 
Yeah. Can I just say that I love that you put it as handing a family to a child because so many times you hear handing the baby to a family and that's not what we do. We are picking families for our children. And oh, I got goosebumps when you said that because I was like, yes. (laughs) I would love to take credit for that. But um, there's a (laughs) podcast uh, episode that should be coming out real soon with a guy by the name of Sean Hutchins. He he and his wife were the um, adoptive family in an adoption and they went Mm -hmm. to an adoption agency. And that was one of the things that, that he talks about is the idea is not that they were out there shopping for a baby to take or anything Mm -hmm. like that. The, the picture in his mind was that, Hey, we're giving our family to a child and Mm -hmm. that's really what it is. Yeah. At least if it's done right, it is. Yes. If it's done right, if it's done ethically and with good agencies and good organizations, 100%. 100%. Yeah, that, that's that's what we're looking for. And, and I'll give Sean credit for, for having said that and changing my <laughs> vocabulary a little bit because it's it's such a powerful way to uh, to change that in your mind and uh, and be able to – because I know that I've been on Facebook. I've looked a lot around a lot of groups, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of people who were adopted as children who have a very negative view of it because, yeah. you know, let's just face it, in 1980-something – there wasn't mm-hmm. great checks out there. It wasn't, yeah. you weren't able to get online and in 30 seconds know where every child offender in the county, you know, sex offender in the county mm-hmm. was. And a lot of kids got placed in places they shouldn't have been placed. And Absolutely. a lot of kids were hurt in that process. And so it's great now that a lot of that is there and we're able to be a lot more cautious about that and be able to to take these kids and give them a family that will raise them, that will love them, that will give them what they need to get through life and be successful. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, those kids are the ones who are going to be making decisions about our, our health care, either as, right. as a child or as politicians or as the people yeah. who vote. You know, we want those kids to be raised and have a great childhood and have great experiences and be able to take care of us in our old age. Mm-hmm. I keep telling my, my kids, you know, one of you guys has got to make a lot of money so you can afford to put me in a good nursing home. Cause <laughs> retirement castle. Retirement That's it. Castle. Yeah. <laughs> so far, I don't think we've gotten there yet, but we're, we're holding out. <laughs> we're working on it. <laughs> but no, it's great for you to come on here and tell us your story and let us, you know, let us talk to you a bit about the importance of birth moms in a kid's life after adoption, mm-hmm. because yeah. that is such a powerful piece. And, and what you guys mm-hmm. have done is just an uncommon thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. What it, one thing I really love too, just to give a quick analogy, if I can. Um, Lori, the um, she's she's a social worker at the agency, and then she's also a birth parent herself. Um, and she works closely with expectant mothers. One thing she always stresses is, you know, a child is growing up, and you know, you're their parents, and you're adoptive parents or biological parents. And you give them their puzzle pieces. And something that happens with adoption is a child is given half a puzzle because they're being raised by these people that are their parents, but they don't have those biological pieces. And to deny an adopted child access to those birth parents is to deny them puzzle pieces to finish their puzzle. And it just, that totally changed my perspective also because I never viewed it that way, that I was a child who grew up in a family that... I fit in pretty well with, but wasn't my biological family. So until I reunited, I was missing so many little puzzle pieces to finish that picture because I had all these what if thoughts of, you know, my conception and things like that. Like, how did I even come to be like those basic questions or who do I even look like? Things like that, that I think biological children often uh, take for granted. They don't stop to think, oh gosh, who do I look like when I look in the mirror? Like they just know, oh, I have my dad's ears and my mom's eyes and grandpa's toes. And, but for adoptees, we don't know those things unless we have the access. So for me, didn't know any of that. So that's, you know, a bunch of puzzle pieces that are missing. But my son, because of that connection we have, he gets a full box of puzzle pieces completely ready to go when it's time for him to start building that puzzle. And it's such a great analogy to look at it that way, in my opinion, because it just helps create well-rounded children who then create well-rounded adults. Absolutely. Because, you know, that that's one of the things I always say is these kids are going to be dealt with somewhere along the lines. 
and mm-hmm. whether you know whether they they don't find the way to put their puzzle pieces together and they're not able to be helped by a family if mm-hmm. they're you know they're not able to to be helped by a teacher sooner or later somebody's going to help them understand their world in a very real way and if that's law enforcement that's not a great way and unfortunately a yeah. lot of kids who come through foster care and adoption the rate of of incarceration is ridiculously through the roof mm-hmm. and being able to hand those pieces to your kid is probably a huge part of what allows them to to build that identity and move mm-hmm. through that age range because the teen years are tough and that's a lot of the teen years and mm-hmm. you know you're handing those pieces to a kid so he doesn't have to you know your son doesn't have to go through that trauma yeah that's that's the hope um you know i think there will be still little bits of trauma um even with you know such a perfect open adoption but i i hope that because of the relationship we've built we'll be able to ride those waves that come up and uh help him process it faster than someone like me who didn't have access when those trauma waves uh kind of sent me spiraling so i i think that there's always going to be trauma in adoption no matter what we do, but I think it's all about how we create safe spaces for the children to know that it's safe to talk about these big feelings that they're going through. And it's all about kind of breaking the stigma of mental health and things like that. Like there's, there's still work to be done for sure. Um, But I think it's definitely getting a lot better. Yeah. Because I don't care what anybody tells you, raising kids doesn't stop at 18. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> I kind of hope that would be the case, but yeah. you know, our, our oldest son right now is 21 and there's pieces of that, that, that it's just your job mm-hmm. until you die. And that's, mm-hmm. that's an awesome part of parenthood because at that point you get mm-hmm. to really speak into their lives in different ways. But having had that, that childhood with your son, that'll give you that, that ability to speak into his life the whole time. And he will be able to, uh, to pick up those pieces along the way. Right. So, well, Lauren, I really appreciate you coming on here today and sharing your story. Um, do you have any parting advice or any wisdom that you would give to to people who are involved in, in adoption or who might be pre-adoptive or post-adoptive? Well, do you have any wisdom that you would give them? Because it sounds like you've you've run the full gamut of experiences. <laughs> um, you know, I, I have one kind of hot button topic that I, I think I would like to leave as my last little seed of wisdom if I can. Um, but you know, I I touched on the grief that a birth parent feels with placing a child and that it's a lifelong burden that we will often carry. And, um, a lot of hopeful adoptive parents, um, don't always see that or recognize it. Um, and so, you know, they see it as, you know, for however long that they've been waiting for a child, they're grieving this, this inability to parent and this lack of a child in their home. And while that's a real grief and I do not by any means want to take away from that, that goes away the minute they're handed a child and, you know, have the ability to parent and they've been picked as the family for this child. But from there it transfers to the birth parent. So then for the next 18 years or however long, they're the ones grieving and you're getting to have this wonderful moment of parenting and all the ups and downs, witnessing the first words, witnessing the first scraped up knee and kindergarten and all those amazing moments that a lot of parents take for granted. And the birth parents are getting to learn about it secondhand. Or if they're lucky, like me and some others, we get to experience some of those moments. And, or like I said, secondhand through pictures or letters or stories that they're told after the fact. And even myself with this amazing open adoption that I've shared and talked about, I still find myself sometimes walking on eggshells around my son's parents because I don't want to ever say or do anything that could rock the boat or choose or cause them to choose to cut off communication, even though I've been reassured a million times that I could never do anything for them to cut me off. I still have this underlying fear that any day they could just cut me out of my son's life. And while they've never hinted that that's something they would do it's it's a fear and it's there. And every birth mom I talk to talks about having this, even if it's just an underlying 
fear that bubbles up every once in a while. It is there and it is real. And the only thing I can view it as is grief transfer. So that grief transfer from the adoptive parents of no one's ever going to pick us. We're never going to be able to parent a child. Then gets placed on us the minute we place our child into your home and becomes, I'm going to get cut off. They're never going to talk to me again. My child's never going to want anything to do with me. And so for that year or two years or six months that they were waiting for a child and they're going through that turmoil, we now have to carry that until the child is old enough to decide and kind of make decisions on their own. So usually 18 or 21, depending on state laws where they can search out and contact. Um, it, it's it's something that's very real. And I don't think adoptive parents recognize it enough or hopeful adoptive parents recognize that even if you have this picture perfect adoption and this amazing contact, it's still something that we carry with us very much. And it's not something that's talked about enough, in my opinion, that um, isn't recognized enough that we're constantly kind of holding our breath and just praying that nothing gets taken away from us because you guys are getting all the glory in parenting our children. And we're kind of like the backseat passenger, like, Oh yeah, you know, I'm the birth mom and I gave birth and you know, it's great. But at the same time, it's, it's not so great. Um, so Definitely just validating feelings and recognizing that adoption carries a lot of feelings for everyone involved, adoptive parents, adoptees, and birth parents. And we just need to create more safe spaces to talk about it and uh, more open communication and recognition of feelings for sure. Well, that's a great piece of advice because it's something that <laughs> you're right. It's, it's not talked about a lot and it's not, you know, a lot of people don't think that side of it through. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so, uh, so it sounds like what you and the group you're involved with are doing are just amazing things. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I want to just commend you for, for walking the path you've walked and for sharing your story in a way that can hopefully impact all kinds of people. You know, this, this is a story that, that people can take with, with them and, and learn about it. And if they are considering becoming adoptive parents, to maybe change the idea and the stigmatism mm -hmm. around open adoption. Yeah. I, I think, you know, um, knowing your situation where you said there was addiction and stuff like that, like it's, it's a very weird, real thing to be fearful of, but it's also something too, that we need to recognize people have the ability to turn their lives around. So I think that there's a fine line between protecting and um, protecting our children, but also, recognizing when someone has changed and welcoming them when that change has occurred. Um, because I, I know quite a few birth moms that have struggled with addiction and things like that, that are denied access to their children, even though they're completely sober now and living amazing lives that I would have no problem letting them come watch. If I were to have a child down the line, my future children. Um, and it, it breaks my heart to see that, you know, one or two mistakes can prevent access to something that could be so beautiful, not just for the birth parent, but also the adoptive parent and the child, because learning about the birth parent can help you parent the child a little better too, because you can understand, oh, he's acting this way because, oh, look, Susie, the birth mom did this when she was 12 too. And it's those puzzle pieces. So um, I definitely think that I understand there are times and circumstances that open adoption isn't the right option for everyone and there needs to be a level of protection and a level of maybe formal communication that's done through third parties but I also think that there needs to be realistic check-ins that take place to see when or if that could be changed or modified uh, based on life improvements or decision improvements um, but yeah I wish more people we're more open to open adoption. I definitely think it's where we're going as far as a community goes um, in adoption. I definitely think we're headed that way where it's more and more common. Um, but I definitely wish it was the only option <laughs> and uh, at least some kind of communication could be had because I think it would do wonders for kids myself. And that's what it's all about is taking care of the mm -hmm. kids. 
So mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, I, I appreciate you coming on here and telling your story and your advice is phenomenal for people who are listening who might be interested in the, in adoption or even foster care as well because yeah. you know, short of you know, we've had some situations where like there were things put in place by the judge that said zero contact. Yes. You know, and right. that's for the kid's safety again. Absolutely. Yes. So yeah, and that that usually has changed once once a, a birth mom has decided to to put down the the crack pipe, if you will. Um, yeah. You know, once they've decided that whatever it is, their drug of choice is not as important as their kids is, and, and they they put aside their their problems. And yeah. you know, yeah. once once you've done that, that's that's an amazing piece for a kid. I love the the analogy of puzzle pieces. That's yeah, um, it's a good one. We want to thank Lauren for being willing to come on our show and tell her story and help educate people about the importance of biofamilies inside of the adoption world. For all the links to the group she's mentioned and all the things she's doing, be sure and check out her show notes over at fostercarenation.com. If you go to the podcast notes tab, click on that and you can scroll down to her episode. Be sure and check out the rest of the page while you're there. And if you feel so inclined to run over to patreon.com and shoot us a little bit of support we would appreciate it every small amount really helps but like i mentioned at the beginning of the show the best thing you can do to help support us is to offer us a rating and review as an itunes listener and share this episode with your friends or anyone who you think might be interested in foster care or adoption and if you'd like to be highlighted as a guest on one of our episodes please reach out to me, send me an email at fostercareuj at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, 